0: You're listening to a City on a Hill podcast. We'd love you to use and share this podcast, but please refrain from editing the content without permission from City on a Hill. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au.
1: Good morning, church. My name's Al. I'll be leading you through the Bible reading. So 1 Peter, chapter 1, starting from verse 13. Therefore... For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. So put away all malice, all deceit, and hypocrisy, and envy, and all slander. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation." if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
0: Thank you, Al. Good morning, everybody. How are we? Good to see you. Let's put our hands together. You have made it to the 9am service. Can you believe it? If you're at home online, please give yourself a clap. Great for you to tune in to our earlier service this week. Uh, It's good to kind of resume what has been for in recent years our usual programming, but obviously uh, COVID interrupted that. So thanks for coming back. Good also to see some fresh faces, haven't seen in a few months, or you haven't been back in even longer while than that. Uh, welcome back. Good to have you with us. If we haven't met before, my name is Nick. I get the joy of being the pastor uh, of this church, and today the joy of, before we jump into week two of our uh, Sojourners series in First Peter, the joy of giving a... Special announcement. Oh, hang on. Hey, for those who don't know, we recently celebrated our fourth birthday as a church in October last year. Uh, and two of those years have obviously been impacted by COVID, which has been very uh, sad. And we've been very keen to help reestablish our connections and our community, uh, because we want you to know people at church, and we want people to know you uh, at church, as we are brothers and sisters doing this sojourn, this journey together. And so this year, more than ever before, we want to make a concerted effort to make sure that can happen. And so that means we are upping our suburban community church game this year. And this year, I am pleased to announce that we are going to be hosting the very first ever inaugural City on a Hill Melbourne East Camp It's going to be an incredible weekend. It's going to be at Phillip Island at the Adventure Resort down there. Uh, So for now, we just want you to save the date. Please save the date, Friday, September 16th to Sunday, September 18th. Uh, In the coming weeks, we're going to release more detail about what that's going to look like and how you can book your place there. Uh, But We will want as many people there as possible and we want to help make that happen uh, if there's anything that might get in the way of that. And so please do save the date in your diary. It is the first weekend of the school holiday, so don't go away. Come away with us. Uh, It's going to be a great time. So we're going to take the excitement of doing a 10-minute survey and then the excitement of a church camp. We're going to bring that all together now and focus in on the Lord's Word to us this morning. Let us pray as we dive into this text. Gracious God, we thank you so much that you uh, bring us together each and every Sunday and we get to be your family together. Thank you that you are a God who is saving a people. So come and add to this people. Come and add to the family this morning. Come and help people be born again to a living hope. And as people who have been born again, would we start to grow and develop and become your children Come and build us up today in this text, we pray. Jesus be big, and it's in His name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Well, this week has been a big week in the life of the Coombs household. This week, our firstborn son, Axel, had his first day of primary school, uh, and therefore, obviously, his first week at school. Uh, He was super excited. The uniform is massive on him. His backpack is twice the size of his torso, and so he kind of practices his balance on the way to school. But he was pumped. And as you do, that meant that there was a lot of reminiscing and a lot of nostalgia about his kind of development up till this point. Uh, And I remember when we first found out That we were having a baby and when you find out that you're having a baby you quickly go to the app store and you download all those apps to tell you about the developmental steps of the child even in the womb and so we were seeing that one week he was a pea and then the next week he was a lemon Uh, Well, it's probably significant growth a few weeks after, and then he became a mango at some point, and then a banana, or I don't know the actual order, but anyway, we were tracking the development. His development was normal, okay? We were tracking the development, and then he had the, the epic entrance into the world, and our development tracking didn't stop. It even got even more intense after that, and every young parent, every young couple, uh, seemingly join in this competition with every other parent to to compare the development of their children. The first smile, the first roll, the first steps, the first words. You start judging your kids on the playground against the other kids on the playground. You've got to find with like as much tact as possible how you can ask that kid's parents how old that kid is, just so that you can determine whether your kid is tracking along All right. Now fast forward five years and he is now at school and his development has turned from, you know, is he going to roll over onto his tummy to now how to navigate being friends with the kid who uses the F-bomb very liberally in the playground and how to make sure that he doesn't become addicted to video games and, and all these kinds of young child things. New seasons, new challenges, new development. And I want to bring that up at the beginning of jumping into this text because this text itself... Uh, kind of mimics a little bit or, or bounces off this idea that we have been born again into new life, we've been given this, this new life, we have entered into this new world and now the development starts for us. Just as that picture of the, 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 little, uh, the, the development of a little human life, Peter here is going to take our new spiritual life and turn the conversation to how we should grow up and how we should develop. Because last week we heard that, that by God's mercy, According to his great mercy, it said, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope. So, just as children are born into the world, we are born into the Christian life. And we now want to track our development, want to be concerned and, and thinking about our growth in Christ. Just as I, as the dad, try to be concerned to be supporting his development, so, as God's children, God, our Father, is concerned with supporting our development in Him, that we might grow, that we might learn, that we might take on the family resemblance. And so today, Peter is going to take us there. He's going to turn the train of thought and develop it further to tell us what being born again to a living hope, what being elect exiles in this world, how it should actually look. And so last week was quite theological and conceptual, Today, much more practical. We're going to jump in the text. If you have your Bibles with you, it would be great to have them handy, uh, whether in paper form, whether on a screen in front of you, or they'll be on the screen behind me, or of course, if you're watching online on the screen that you are looking at. We're going to jump into these few verses under a few headings, the first of which, God's will for elect exiles. Peter's going to tell us God's will for elect exiles. We're going to stop at the first word, therefore, he says. And we should all ask, what is the therefore, therefore? Therefores are very important, particularly in New Testament letters, uh, where you want to kind of be concentrated in on the, the author's logical flow as they write this book. And so therefore are very important. And it tells us that these realities that he, or these, these instructions that he's going to give, are coming off the back of the realities that he wrote down for us last week, that we are elect exiles that we have been born again to a living hope, that He is keeping an inheritance for us, that He is guarding our salvation until the end, that He is refining us through temporary suffering for permanent and eternal glory, that the good news of our salvation, of Christ's suffering and Christ's glory, that that was talked about even in the Old Testament, for our sake, therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, Set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, in the original language, New Testament was written in ancient Greek, where it says, preparing your minds for action. It literally says, gird up your loins. It's a famously biblical phrase. Uh, And here is the, I think I've got a picture. Here is the art of manliness guide to girding up your loins. What it looks like. And as you can see, to gird up one's loins was to prepare yourself to run, to prepare yourself for battle, to prepare yourself for action. In the 21st century, if you wear skinny jeans, your loins are permanently girded. <laughs> but Peter wants us to do this for our minds, to psychologically ready ourselves for battle. And it's a battle, he says, that's going to require us to be sober minded. You know, if you, if you get on the beers too much, you're going to be obviously the, the opposite of sober-minded. You lower your inhibitions, you lose your mental clarity, your, your sharpness of mind. But to be sober-minded is to keep your wits about you. That in the midst of the, the noise of our modern-day world, social media outrage, your smartphone pinging notifications at you constantly... news cycles, clickbait headlines, global causes pushed on us. To be sober-minded is in the midst of all of that noise to have clarity on what God thinks, to have clarity on what God has to say into your life in this moment, what God's will is for us. And so to live faithfully as elect exiles in our world, it's going to be a battle. We're going to be pushed and pulled in all different directions in our lives and the most important thing in the midst of all of that is going to be what does God have to say? And he tells us. He says, get ready for the hope or or, get ready to have your hope on the grace that is coming with Jesus. And then Peter drills further to tell us what it looks like to have our hope on God's grace. He says in verse 14, as the obedient children Do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And so setting our hope on God's grace looks like pursuing holiness in our lives. Now so often, don't we, we wrestle as as Christians, what, what is God's will for my life? What is God's will in this, this season of transition I'm going through? What is God's will for me right now? And often we, we wrestle with that and it can cause anxiety for us because we have this idea that God's will is kind of this uh, like tight, thin, vulnerable tightrope that we kind of need to walk. And if we uh, you know, step off the tightrope, we're going to fall out of God's will and how will we ever recover? But God's will in Scripture is quite clear. Paul says to the church in the the book of Thessalonians, he says, for this is the will of God, your sanctification. So God's will for our lives as elect exiles, whatever job we have, whomever we marry, wherever you live, whichever church you commit to, God's will for you is that you become more like him. You shall be holy for I am holy. And holiness has become a bit of a kind of a, a religious word, which we can sometimes be intimidated by. It means to be sacred, set apart, pure. And while our part of the world is identifying less and less with more traditional religions, they are no less pursuing holiness in their own way. Because you can think about holiness as, as wholeness. We want to be pure. And in our mass produced artificial industrial world, the trend toward organic whole foods. That kale smoothie with almond milk, chia seeds, and acai berries. It is a modern-day pursuit of holiness. In our materialistic world, the the pursuit of minimalism, getting rid of everything, purging yourself of everything that doesn't spark joy, or disconnecting from the, the daily grind to get back to nature, it's a pursuit of holiness. But What Peter here is talking about is that the way the Bible uses it is in relation to God's moral character. That he is so holy, he's, he's set apart from the world. He's so powerfully pure that for fallen beings like us, to, to get anywhere near him, any close to him, would be like a rocket trying to get to the heart of the sun. That we would burn up the closer we got. And what Peter is saying is that as elect exiles, the elect part of elect exiles, our election wasn't just a kind of hey, come join my family. It wasn't just to get your membership card into church. No, God has elected us to become more like Him. God has chosen us for our moral development to be crafted and and shaped and refined to be more like Him. There's a famous passage at the, the, the peak of The book of Romans, in Romans chapter 8, you might have heard of it before. We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to His purpose. For those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to come and spend 80 minutes every Sunday morning sitting in a community center. He also predestined, no, to be conformed to the image of His Son. God's will for us as elect exiles is to be conformed to the image of Jesus. To have our character become like His character. To have our moral compass shaped like His moral compass. For His vision of, of people, of relationships, of money, of sex, of sin, of righteousness. To have our hearts become like the heart of Christ. And so I wonder if through January you thought about, hey, i want I've got to write down all the things that I want to accomplish this year. You set some, set some goals or some, some resolutions, goals to get fitter, faster, better, stronger, more productive, or maybe more rested, more connected to your family. God's will for us this year is that we would become more like Jesus. Do we have at the forefront of our minds that this is where we're going? that this is what God has for us, that we would become more like Jesus. And so it is worth thinking about this morning, if you haven't yet already, where in your life do you need to become more like Jesus? Where in your character does some of the old part of you need to be shaved off so that you can become more like Jesus? See, often we think about uh, the Christian life, and we kind of think this way about all kind of religion, that it's all about submission. I mean, Islam itself, Islam literally means submission. And we can think that the Christian life is all about submission to Jesus, as if we kind of just have to endure His rules for us until we get to heaven and we'll be free from these rules. And sometimes we create dichotomies in life. Well, does God really want me to be happy? Or does God really want us to be holy? But the Christian life isn't about submission. It's about conformity to Jesus that actually we would change to start loving what He loves, it's thinking how He thinks, giving how He gives. And so God actually wants us to become happy being holy. And the holier we are, the happier we become. Just like Peter wrote last week, that sometimes even through trial, even through pain and suffering, we can have joy because it's making us more like Jesus. The last tragedy you went through, it was making you more like Jesus. Jesus. The devastation or crisis you're going through right now, it's making you more like Jesus. The future disappointments and tragedies you're going to go through, God wants them to make you more like Jesus. And so we're going to get to what that might look like. But Peter, for now, wants us to know God's will that you have been chosen to become more like Jesus. And it's an intimidating ambition. But Peter wants us to motivate it before us. And so he reminds us of our hope. So let's turn to talk about gospel hope for elect exiles. He says in in verse 17, And if you call on him as father, who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. And so Peter says, if you're a child of God, your heavenly father, well, he's also the heavenly judge the judge of the living and the dead. That as he rescued the Israelites out of Egypt, he took them and brought them before Mount Sinai and they quaked and trembled and were struck with fear as they saw his holiness and that he was their judge. And so God is a judge who sees what we do impartially. That there is nothing in your life that is private to him. And there is nothing in your life that you could kind of argue yourself out of what was your true and right responsibility. So conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, he says. In one of the, the or in. Several of the biographies of Jesus in the Gospels. There's a few moments where fear strikes people that are around Jesus because of his power. And one time, Jesus is on a boat with his disciples and he tells them, Hey, we need to go over to the other side of the sea, so let's go there. But Jesus, he's a human. And so he needs to rest, and so he falls asleep as the boat is sailing across the water. But while he's asleep, a big storm comes and starts to push and pull the boat around, throwing it around, and it gets so serious, that the disciples are so freaking out that they think it's the end. They start to make their, their final phone calls home to their loved ones. And as they do, Jesus wakes up, and he stands up, and he sounds like me when I'm trying to put the kids to bed. Quiet! Be still. But he's much more effective than me, because immediately the ocean becomes still, the sea becomes still. And the Bible says that the disciples are struck with fear, and they ask themselves, "Who is this man? Even the wind and the waves obey him. And Peter says, "Have that mentality about yourself. To become more like Jesus, we've got to carry around ourselves this, this serious sense of awe. That God is our Father. And that He's also our judge. That God knows all of our lives. He knows the former ignorance, Peter calls it, that we used to walk in. He knows the things that you are even, you've put so far back in your memory that you're ashamed to even remember them. He knows how our old self lingers, and how our hearts are particularly or uniquely tempted or twisted. He knows the depths of our depravity, all the intricacies and the complexity of the the backstory and family origin that has shaped us in certain ways, all of our disappointments, all of our hopes and dreams for the future. He sees it all, and he sees right through it all, to judge perfectly and impartially And as Peter is writing this, he wants us to to bring to mind God's most famous moment of judgment. Because he tells us about it in verse 18. He says, as you do that, knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through Him are believers in God, who raised Him from the dead and gave Him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. And so God is a judge, and, and Peter knows that when we ourselves judge our lives apart from Christ, they look futile. The Apostle Paul thinks about his life before Christ and says, Christ came for sinners... Of whom I am the foremost. So the church in Corinth, he tells them hey, think about where you came from. Some of you, not many of you were were wise, not many of you were powerful, but God chose what is foolish to shame the wise. And I resonate with that. I think about myself before meeting Jesus, and I can see how cowardly, how insecure. How flexible and fickle I was to the the pressures and the pull of of others, the fleeting desires of my own heart, before God, by His grace, called me out. And so God sees all that. He knows where we've come from, but His judgment is is not to treat us as we deserve, but rather to save us from that. God sent His Son. Jesus poured out His precious blood that people like you, people like me, people who have had no idea how to live. In fact, we've lived in the, the opposite way to which we have been designed in relationship with God. We've lived apart from Him, for ourselves. And God sent Jesus, who was made manifest among us, who lived and died and then rose again, so that we could have faith and hope in God. And so the call to become more like Jesus is really intimidating. But our hope, and the hope of the gospel, is not in knowing that we're becoming more like Jesus, but in knowing that Jesus has actually become like us. That Jesus has taken on flesh, humbled himself, poured out his life in in service, in teaching, but then poured out his blood in death for us. So that we could know him. So that we could call this judge Abba, Father. And so think about what this shows us about the love of Christ. For all eternity, Jesus had angels and archangels singing his praises, literally, giving glory to him. And for all eternity, they had never run out of content. And yet he came to us. And as he walked on this earth, there was not one millisecond of a bad attitude in Jesus. There was not one moment of a self-serving thought. He never had an impulse toward pride, even as crowds were chasing him and following him, that they might even be near Jesus. He lived poor and homeless. He washed dirty feet. He healed dirty people. He dined and drank with unsavory types. And then he died. His precious Blood, his perfect life laid down for us. And so all of us have have sinned and and fallen short. We all have deep seated habits and patterns of thought and behavior that, that if we were the judge, we would be offended. We offend ourselves, let alone a perfectly holy judge. And yet, as deep as our sin is, God's love is deeper still. There is judgment coming. Peter wants us to know that. But before we get there, he wants us to see the judgment that has come and that has fallen on Jesus in our place. And so the hope that we have is that Jesus has died in our place. And when we think about Jesus, when we think about what he's done for us, that's when we want to live a life that points others to what's precious. When you're filled with the hope that you have in Jesus, That's when you want to start to live like Jesus. So it's worth asking yourself, do you want to be like Jesus? God's will for your life is for you to become like Jesus in character, the way you care for people, the way you serve. Do you want to be like Jesus? So Peter moves on to now dial in and tell us a little bit about what that looks like. So he points now to the growth trajectory for elect exiles. I'm going to read the rest of our passage in full. It says, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth, for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding Word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. You see, being a mature Christian doesn't necessarily mean that you have a lot of Bible in the, in the background of your mind to bring into conversation. It doesn't necessarily mean that you have all the theological questions or theological answers to the questions that come up in gospel community. You don't have to have grown up in church. You don't have, to have this kind of perfectly articulate testimony that you can tell other people. Now, To be a mature Christian, to be someone who's becoming more like Jesus is to love to love others from a pure heart. And having been born again into the family of God, Peter tells us we should have a a particular loyalty to love our brothers and sisters who have also been born again into the family of God. That's the people sitting beside you right now. The people who are part of our church community. We'll get more into this next week as we we have a, a passage that really dials in on who is the church, but Peter wants us to know that we are to press on to be a people who who overflow in love for one another. Because the good news that we believed when we first believed is the good news that will be true today, tomorrow, and forever. The Word of the Lord remains forever. Now notice what he doesn't say. He doesn't say, love one another earnestly for 90 minutes every Sunday morning. Love one another as long as you are happy with the music and the air conditioning or lack of in the church building. See, some of us can get into a habit of becoming Sunday morning or, or, or Sunday Christians. And for 90 minutes, we are really good at speaking Christianese. We put the responsible front on. We walk in the doors and our self-control clicks into gear and our language changes, and our demeanor changes. We can hold on and internalize the true state of our character for 90 minutes. This is where the imagery is helpful. Being born again is to come into a whole new life in Christ. It's not to become more disciplined and compartmentalized, but to have your whole life lived in Jesus. So let's dwell on this for a moment, because Peter presses in here on our character. You know, we are going to be disappointed by people. You are going to be disappointed by some of your brothers and sisters in Christ. You are going to be let down by people in your life. Sometimes in life, maybe it's when you're putting the kids to bed. Maybe it's when you're feeling the the pressure of a work deadline. Maybe it's after you yourself feel like you've been mistreated or misrepresented. That old nature in you. It's going to start to want to lash out. Peter says all the same, put away all malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, slander. See, all these, all these are, are strategies that we use, aren't they, to, to protect ourselves. All of these are different strategies we use to try to make sure that we get on top, that we don't get hurt. And so our self-protection is a, a lack of love, That we think we have to jump to our own defense because we forget that God our Father is our judge. That as the judge, he poured out his wrath, but not upon us. He poured it on his own son, Jesus. And as I read this, I'm convicted about my own ways of not loving. Where I'm not seeing the character of Christ in me. I throw throw a pity party like a five-year-old in my heart when I get told I could have done something better. I self-justify. I deflect. My inner lawyer works pro bono in my heart and my mind to prove to my sinful nature that, that I'm all good. I'm in the right here. But it's all hypocrisy. And it's hypocrisy because I've been born again. You've been born again. We should want to grow up. Having been born again, repentance is not a threat. Repentance is a gift. I want to become more like Him. I was spiritually dead apart from Christ, and He came, and He made me alive. I want to walk in that life. And so how's the state of your heart toward others? How's the state of your character as it's revealed in the midst of moments where you might be tempted toward malice, envy, hypocrisy. To be more like Jesus is to be a person who loves people. To be someone who loves people, we need to be someone who pursues the love of Christ. The love of Christ that led to Him pouring His precious blood out for us. And it's that same love of Christ that becomes the lifeblood of someone who's been born again. It's the same love that we should want to show the world ourselves. And Peter closes this thought here yeah. in our text today with this kind of harrowing, piercing if. Did you read that last line? If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. See, God's will for our lives is that we become like Jesus. The gospel hope that we have is that Jesus has lived and died in our place. And therefore, the trajectory that we should be on is toward loving like Jesus. But we're only going to pursue that if we have tasted that the Lord is good. See, Peter doesn't want to scare us into submission. Our sin is is way too powerful to just be scared away. Instead, he invites us to reflect on the goodness of God. Because only knowing and experiencing the goodness of the Lord, the love of Christ, only that brings the power to refine us in a way that becomes like Jesus. And so, do you know the love of Jesus this morning? The love of Jesus for you. In a moment, I'm going to close out by praying for us. I'm going to do so in a more kind of considered and reflective way than I normally might. In the book of Ephesians, we read about the Apostle Paul's prayer for the church there in Ephesus. And he prays exactly what Peter is is encouraging us to do. He prays that the church would have spiritual strength. But notice where he asks God to help them find this spiritual strength. He says, for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of His glory, He may grant you to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth And to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. And so, Peter has told us that we need to know the love of Christ. And if we're going to become loving like Jesus, we need to consider this. We're going to find strength for that by considering his love. If we're going to have strength to gird up our loins, to pursue God's holiness, We need to know the love of Christ, that we might put away hypocrisy, deceit, malice, envy. And Paul tells us, just as Peter tells us, that it's a love that surpasses knowledge. Jesus loves you more than you could ever comprehend. He loves you with an everlasting love. And in this is love, not that we have loved God, but that God loved us and sent His Son to be The propitiation, the atoning sacrifice for our sins. He gave up His life so that you could share in His life. He died in your place so that He could take away your death. So look to Jesus and taste and see that He is good. Who are we as His people? After all that He's unpacked for us, having done for us. Election, calling conversion. He's guarding our salvation. He's keeping an inheritance for us. Who are we to trifle in anger and bitterness and unforgiveness and hypocrisy? The Lord is at hand. Get your life right with Jesus today. Get ready to pursue the character of Jesus today. So I'm going to pray now that we might be a people we're becoming more and more like Jesus. We might be a people who bounce off the hope that we have of Jesus dead in our place and yet risen in victory so that we could grow to look more and more like Jesus. I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to pray for me. I know my own heart and if I multiply my heart by the amount of people in this room, the amount of people who are joining us online, there is a lot of character traits that need a lot of work today. So let us bow our heads now. Let us lean in to God's grace together. Would you please pray with me? Before I pray, I'm going to give you 20 or 30 seconds just to process your own life with Christ right now. If you need to repent for things, repent for things. If you need to bring hurt, bring hurt. If you need to confess, confess. And in a moment, I'm going to pray. Gracious God, Heavenly Father, Holy Judge. Lord, we come before you in the name of Jesus this morning. And Lord, we come to you confessing all the ways we minimize your grace in our life, all the ways we don't set our hope on the grace that is ours in Jesus. All the ways fail as your children Lord I bring us together to you this morning and Lord I ask you to save us from ourselves save us from our sin save us from our sinful attempts to save ourselves save us from middle class eastern suburban churchianity tries to put a salve upon our own sin in ways other than coming to You with genuine confession, repentance, and hope. Lord, save us from going through the motions. Save us from a performative spirituality that is devoid of Your Spirit. Save us from self-serving independence that treats other people through the lens of how they can serve us. Lord, save us from these things. Hypocrisy, malice, deceit, envy. Save us from the ways we try to protect ourselves and cut ourselves off from others made in your image. Save us from a lack of love. of these things Lord and are sorry and Lord we bring them now to your feet we bring them to the foot of the cross and there we see our old selves the hypocritical selves the malicious selves the envious selves our sin our self-protection our self-serving attitudes Lord we see them there nailed to the cross of Christ So, Lord, we thank you that you have taken our failure. Now would you give us your perfection? We thank you that you have taken our sin. Would we walk in your righteousness? Help us taste and see that the Lord is good. Help us know your great love for us. Bless us with a developmental pathway that goes from love to love, strength to strength that loves other people before ourselves. Bless us with a serious sense of awe that we might be intentional in becoming more like Jesus, in growing our moral capacity to love, to serve, and to honor you. Make us a church refined by all the hard things that we've been through pray, Lord, that we would see that you are making us more like Jesus. And we pray this that through our lives, through our love of one another, Lord, you might use us as a witness to our brothers and sisters in this church and as a witness to the world that Christ died for sinners, of whom I, of whom we are the foremost. Turn our hearts toward you, we pray. In Jesus' name, Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au.